and welcome back to NRI Woman, the show where we share the amazing stories of women of Indian origin living across the world. We hope in sharing these stories you are inspired, learn something new, or simply know you're not alone in the struggles you face. I'm Nanora. And I'm Bettina. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's episode is special because it is our last episode. Don't be disappointed yet. Based on your feedback, we're excited to announce that future episodes will be in video format. This means you'll be able to see and meet our amazing guests and us. You can still continue to listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platforms too. The only change is that you have more than one way to engage with us. We are excited to begin this new phase and can't wait for you to see what we have in store for you. Please let us know if you have any other suggestions or feedback. We want to create the experience that is best for you, our listeners. And as always, please can we request you to subscribe, rate and comment our podcast so others can find us. Trigger warning. This episode contains discussions around sensitive topics, including experiences of mental health challenges, trauma, abuse, suicide and gender-related struggles. Listener discretion is advised as these conversations may be triggering for some individuals. If you feel distressed, please consider reaching out to a mental health professional for support. Our world today is so dynamic and diverse when it comes to how people view gender identity. It's no longer just the traditional ideas of male or female. There's a whole spectrum out there. Non-binary, agenda, just to name a few. but there's still a long way to go when it comes to understanding and acceptance a lot of that comes from societal norms and not having enough exposure to these perspectives well we have an amazing guest with us today who's going to help open our eyes to all of this and more we are told to welcome celia sandhya daniels on our show today Celia is an entrepreneur, motivational speaker, diversity advocate, hiker and filmmaker based in Southern California Celia identifies as a gender non-binary trans femme person. She has become a force for positive change and visibility within the LGBTQ+ community. Celia has been recognized as one of the top 20 LGBTQ leaders in biopharma and top 10 LGBTQ+ voices on LinkedIn in US and Canada. She also holds a place among the top 100 LGBTQ+ women in diversity, equity and inclusion worldwide. Alongside icons like Laverne Cox, Wanda Sykes, Lily Tomlin and others. Growing up a lonely closeted trans youth in a traditional Christian home in southern India, she faced a lot of challenges and obstacles when it came to accepting and expressing her true gender identity. Her struggle began when she was very young. When I was 4 years old in southern India Chennai I remember telling my mom that mom I want to be a girl <laughs> and my mom she looked at the social constructs of the British government in India at the time and she said you are a boy and you're not a girl and i was so curious about it and i said mom no i i want to be a girl and i remember covering my head in my mom's sari and sitting in a corner in the house and my mom would just play peekaboo with me at the time it was actually fun i didn't remember anything about 
any, anything else, but the whole experience for me was I could be a girl. You know, growing up as a four-year-old, you don't know anything about gender identity. You don't know anything about sexual orientation or anything. You just grow up as these innocent children. And I was, I remember telling my mom and I was probably wearing some of my mom, uh, my cousin's clothes. And I remember my cousin's sister was sharing with me and she was laughing. And he used to wear my skirt and run around. Do you remember? I said, no, I don't remember anything. <laughs> it was actually funny. Um, but I remember when I was seven years old, my mom told me that you can't wear this anymore because you're a boy and boys don't do this. And here I was a little bit confused because I was slowly getting to know my identity. I wanted to be a boy, but at the same time I wanted to be a girl. And this was very strong in me. And I felt like growing up in the early 70s in India, being a boy, being a man was a privilege. It was a social privilege. Patriarchy was so important in India and I felt like I wanted to be a part of that patriarchy. Not knowing that inside of me was a, such a feminine person and the outside was a masculine shell that I was putting for the community, for my society, my parents. And I remember um, there was a time when I, I, I couldn't dress up as a girl, so I just had to go into the closet. And I was living in the closet for a long time. And I was so upset. It was like something was taken away from me. And I don't remember those days, but one thing that I remember was I just learned to suppress my femininity and I learned to survive. The trauma that I was going through as a child was a threefold. One is I was going through gender dysphoria, which I didn't know at the time. The second layer was I was abused um, as a child. I was um, probably in my fourth grade, which was an elementary school, and I remember my uncle, you know, molesting me, and I felt so I was so upset about why he did that to me because he woke up in the morning like nothing happened and he walked around the house. To me that was so baffling and I couldn't tell my mom because I was carrying a shame. And I thought he did that to me because I'm maybe different. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not the same boy. I, maybe I'm different and that's why I, he did that to me. I just let it go and I thought, you know, it's okay. I'll just move on with my life and I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to tell my mom. So I kept moving on with my life. But there was always this feeling that I was unworthy. You know, I was not up to the mark. I'm not a boy. I'm never going to survive. And always this, I would say, a white noise was running in my head for a while. And I remember a time when I was going to church you know we grew up as a christian family my father was a hindu and he became a christian so uh, we were practicing the christian faith in an evangelical or an anglical setting i remember going to church and feeling so guilty because to me it was always a feeling that people like me go to hell you know you are not supposed to be in a church and i was so paranoid. I was so guilty about myself and I 
used to feel so unhappy. I looked at the cross and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to hell anyway. So I was carrying these three layers of trauma growing up as a child, just in my elementary school. And I wanted to really express my femininity. And I just did not want to talk about it. So I kept it to myself. I remember in my ninth grade, probably I was 10 or 11 years old, this was in a beach near Mahapalipuram, that's where I grew up. I remember going to the beach and sitting there and always thinking about my life, you know, what's going to happen, what kind of future would I have. I never knew that um, I would probably even make it up to my high school. You know, it was, it was so traumatic. Um, these are emotions that a child goes through. And when you don't share with your parents because you're so scared, you know, we lived in a single bedroom apartment in India and um, we were probably a lower middle class family. My dad was a businessman, my mom was a nurse. But I remember that I didn't want to talk about my problems to my family because we were already going through a lot in our lives and this was something that I thought I could just, you know, absorb and not talk about it. But I didn't understand that that could actually cause a lot of trauma when you're going through. And also mental stress. It caused a lot of gender dysphoria, which I knew now. <laughs> but at the time, I didn't know what was gender dysphoria. Trying to navigate the world as a child with undiagnosed gender dysphoria can be profoundly challenging and lonely. You feel like there's something different inside you, but you don't have the language or context to understand it yet. Imagine looking around and seeing all the gender roles and norms that society expects you to conform to. But deep down, you feel a disconnect between those expectations and your inner sense of self. You're trying to wear an ill-fitting mask just to get by. Without the proper words to describe how one is feeling, it's easy to feel isolated in this struggle. The distress comes out through anxiety, depression and emotional turmoil. You may not always have the tools to support, to explore who you really are inside. But there is hope. As you start to learn the right words, like gender dysphoria, pieces begin to fall into place. The self-discovery process begins to make sense, helping you articulate your feelings and identity. The more we understand these terms, the more we can support young people on their journeys of understanding themselves. Gender dysphoria happens to folks who are born anatomy, you know, in the, in the male anatomy, like me, uh, I'm a man. But you have a chosen gender or a preferred gender. So the preferred gender is for me as female, because I feel deep inside that I wanted to be a girl. So when you switch between genders, you know, when I try to express my femininity and I I wear a skirt and then I, you know, in my mind I'm actually a girl when I wear a skirt and I try to express myself. And when I'm in my chosen gender, what normally happens is you're actually, and then when you switch back to the male gender, when you start, you actually go through gender dysphoria. Because your mind is actually playing tricks with your brain and you feel like, oh, what is going on with me? You know, I, I was a man and now I'm a woman and I'm a man, I'm a woman. And when you keep on doing this for a long period of time, and because you cannot, um, unless you change your gender or you go through uh, hormone therapy, 
you're going through a gender reassignment surgery, there's no way you can cure it. And everyone goes through gender dysphoria. You know, people who identify as trans, they go to genders, they go through gender dysphoria. I wanted to also let you know about, um, you know, what is gender identity and what is sexual orientation? Sexual orientation is whom you're attracted to and gender identity, who you are in your head. So I'll give you an example for the audience so that you can understand in a much better way. Um, it's a more, I think it's a more funny way of remembering is uh, sexual orientation is whom you go to bed with. But gender identity is whom and how you go to bed as. There's a big difference between both because it's you're not defined by whom you're attracted to, but you're defined by who you are. And that's where I was confusing with my sexual identity and uh, gender, sorry, sexual orientation and gender identity. And I will talk a little bit more about um, gender identity and some of the aspects within the trans community. So when I talk about the trans women like me, one out of 200 men behave differently or they identify as trans. And there is always a fact that we need to understand. Even within a trans community, it's not that the people of hijras are different or a person who's transsexual is different. These are all derogatory words, um, especially when you're using a transsexual. The word um, we normally use in a community right now, it's uh, within the transgender community, is um, post-op, pre-op, and non-op transgender. But they all fall under the transgender umbrella. So the post-op or pre uh, transgender of people have done surgery and they have done uh, taken hormones and they've done surgery, they're called post-op transgender. Um, the pre-op transgender folks who are planning to do surgery, or they may not even do surgery, but they may just take the HRT and they just want to be um, expressing themselves in that manner, they're called um, um, pre-op transgender. And the non-op transgender people like me who don't want to be operated, and they don't, I, I don't even take any HRT. So there are a lot of people um, currently who have come out and they felt like, you know, they don't want to have surgery, but they want to express themselves in the gender they are comfortable with. And so this is the category that falls within the, the trans community. It's taken Celia a long time to get to the point to where she knows who she is. And getting there was not an easy, straight or known path. There was a time in my ninth grade, I was wanting to express my femininity and I wore a skirt, a long skirt that I made. I stitched a skirt. <laughs> I was good in stitching and uh, you know knitting and all that. So I learned that and I, I made a skirt and I put on a nice top. I covered my head um, with a scarf like a hijab and I slowly walked out and sneaked out of my house in an evening. It was dusk. There's not too much of light in the street and people were business in their own homes. So I was walking through the street and the wind was blowing my skirt and I felt like, I felt so alive the first time because I was actually out there expressing my femininity. And I remember standing some, you know, in the street and I was walking through the street and I came to a construction site. I was walking through the construction site because I didn't have wanted to take a shortcut home. And there was a man who came and he looked at me and said, Hey, what are you doing here? Come here. And I was a little bit scared. So I went close to him and I said, No, I'm I'm going 
I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just, you know, going home. And he said, where do you live? And he suddenly looked at me in the light and he realized that I was a boy and he started laughing. He was like, you are an Ombodha. Ombodha means it's a derogatory word for the trans people in India, in Tamil. And I didn't know what to say and I was standing there and I hated that word because I didn't want to be known that way. And he kept on telling that word and I was so angry. I was standing there and looking at him and I said, no, I'm not Ombodha. I was, I was so upset and I remember there were a lot of people. He started laughing and he started calling his friends and they all came and they were all drunk and they all came and they started standing next to me and watching and they started asking me, where's your dad? You know, we're going to take you to your dad. Um, we're going to beat you up. And they were threatening me and I didn't know what to do. I was just standing there and thinking, okay, what am I going to do? What is my next move? Where do I run? If What if they tie me up? You know, what if they pour some kerosene on me and you know, burn me or anything, you know, I was so scared. And they were really surrounding me and almost like 10, 12 people. They were just standing and having fun for that evening, I guess. And I remember there was a, there were some women passing by and I looked at them, uh, wondering if they would help me. And they started looking at me and they started laughing and everyone was actually laughing at me, except me, you know, I was, I was very upset about that situation. I still, that memory haunts me. Even till today when I talk about discrimination in the corporates, corporate world. And I, I didn't know what I was doing and I was so scared. So I spoke in a Hindi accent. I said, I need to go to the market. In a market porno, uh, I spoke in a very Hindi accent in Tamil and they were like confused. They asked me, where are you from? I said, I'm from here, but I want to go to the market. And one person was very close to me, showing his hand that he's going to hit me. And I then slowly um, sneaked back and I told them that I need to go to the market. And they showed me the direction. And I just said, thank you. And I started walking through the crowd. And they were looking at me like, where are you going? And I didn't even turn back. I just quickly, um, I was walking very fast. And then I started running and I came back home. I went to the terrace, um, which is the upstairs, you know, it's an open terrace in India, most of the houses have that. I went there and um, I was just sitting and thinking, okay, um, I'm not going to be able to come out and, you know, this is not my life and I don't know what to do. I want to kill myself. So I tied my hands behind my back, I put a plastic bag on my head and I s tried to choke myself. And I was actually scared um, because it was a point in my life I could feel uh, the air goes, was going out of my lungs and it was all yellow in my head and I was so scared to die. Um, I pulled out my hands and pulled out the plastic bag and I sat there crying, thinking I am afraid to live and I'm also afraid to die. What am I going to do? I didn't have an ambition in life. You know, my ambition was just to get through my high school. My ambition was just to survive. It was a difficult time at that, um, during my high school. And I remember there was a, I started studying and uh, I, I, I went to the beach. I, I was sitting there at the beach and just wondering and looking at, staring at the sky and asking God for help. Like, why did you make me like this? Can I be normal? <laughs> 
can you just heal me you know just heal me so that i wouldn't have to go through all this my prayers or my therapy was the beach i used to sit sit down in the beach and keep asking god for help nothing happened um i used to sit for hours together in the beach and then go back home and it was a very strange time that i was going through even when she was confused about who she was celia found comfort in music in high school she discovered a natural talent for guitar and artists like boy george the beatles and kenny rogers helped her get through some tough times Celia went on to complete degrees in computer science and launch her career at a multinational firm finding professional success. But her personal journey of self-discovery continued to unfold. She grappled with why she didn't feel attracted to men, yet longed to embrace her female identity. At one point, Celia wondered if conforming to societal norms and getting married might make these conflicting feelings disappear. So I remember, um, you know, we got married. I got married to this beautiful woman, and I, I was sincerely hoping that my feminine identity would go away, that I would never have to think about it. So I was still in denial at this time. I was always hoping that you know I would get through this. And I got married, and my company. I was working for Dun and Bradstreet at the time, and uh, my company wanted to wanted me to go to the U.S. and um, work with a client in US so as soon as we got married in 97 I came to this country I remember coming to New York and I was commuting between New York and New Jersey um and I was very busy with my new life and the new environment I was working and uh I was excited but at the same time whenever I go used to go to the hotel room I would get back the um gender dysphoria outside I was so successful and I put on a show that I know I'm so good and I'm very good in what I'm doing in the business world in corporate America. But as soon as I get to my hotel rooms after my business presentation, I would just slip on a maxi dress and I would just sit in my room and cry. I was so vulnerable because I I didn't know what to do. You know, it was hard. I couldn't talk to anyone, I couldn't tell my wife and I had a I had a little child at the time in early 2000. and i was thinking to myself that i don't want this kind of life you know i don't this is not me i'm a i'm a man i'm a successful businessman i don't want this kind of life why am i living like this so i don't want to do it so here i was just moving on with my life and trying to pretend like nothing is wrong with me i could not it was it was traumatic i don't know how to express but it's always like you're missing something you're always missing something and whenever i saw women i was like i want to be you i want to be i love your hairstyle i love the makeup they wore and i love the dress i was respecting women in a northern i wasn't looking at them in a in a very sexual way but i always looked at women as to i love being a woman i love femininity i want to be you i used to sit and always think about it and dream about it and in 2004 i remember telling my wife sweetheart I'm going through something and I want to explain to you. But I my information that I had was very inadequate at the time. All I knew at that time was you're either a cross-dresser or you are a transsexual. So I remember telling my wife that I like wearing women's clothes and my wife said, "Oh, but you're you know, I don't think anything wrong with you. I don't think you're gay." 
so don't wear it you know you're a man don't wear women's clothes and that answer was very insufficient for me and i was thinking for some and i was hoping that she would accept me and i wanted to continue dressing but it was like don't do it and it was like an addiction she said yeah i know that a lot of people are addicted to it so i thought maybe this is an addiction maybe i can get over it so um she said you know why don't you talk to some therapists and um see if you can get some help and i was sitting in jacksonville florida at this time i <laughs> there are no therapists and i spoke to a gay counselor he heard my story for an hour and he said ha huh, you're a feminine gay and i said no no you don't understand i'm not attracted to men i want to be a woman he said yeah there are a lot of people like you in the gay community you're feminine gay and i was so upset because i was thinking either this person didn't understand me or maybe i didn't express to him the right way and i i just cut the call um you know after a couple of minutes and i just thought to myself as to why people are telling me what to do why can't i just understand find out what's going on in my life you know celia's journey of self discovery took a turn during this period of business travel in the privacy of hotel rooms she began expressing her female identity presenting as celia at night even as she went by daniel during work days she hoped to find acceptance in dimly lit bars where she could embrace her true self but what she often found instead was a harsh reality as a trans person she was presumed to be sexually available or a prostitute when you're in a vulnerable state even the lowest form of validation can seem better than none one night things took a horrific turn when celia was sexually assaulted by another bar patron she felt violated distressed and utterly alone crying uncontrollably in her car afterward yet in her despair there was a turning point Celia knew that she had to do something to change the narrative for herself and for all trans people forced into the shadows. The pain of that night fueled a new resolve to stop hiding and start living authentically despite the risks or what society might say. It was time to stand up, speak out and play a role in creating spaces where people of all gender identities are safe, valued and respected. For Celia This trauma became a catalyst for change. I remember calling LA LGBTQ Center a couple of weeks after that incident and calling them and asking saying that hey I want to be you know I'm going through all this and I want to volunteer in some organization I want to volunteer for and I want to express my femininity I want to volunteer any anything that you can help me you know a school or a hospital wherever I want to volunteer as Celia is there an opportunity and the folks in LA told me you're living in a suburb in LA and why don't you find something local there you know it's too you know it's almost like a 45 minute travel so i pulled out the internet and i was looking at a few churches um, because i'm a christian i was looking at a few church where i could just go attend the service and come out so i i found a church in um, in simi valley simi valley is a place where ronald reagan uh used to live and he was buried in simi valley nancy and uh, nancy reagan and ronald reagan so it's a very republican predominantly a very conservative community and i remember coming out in that community <laughs> out of all places uh, but anyway it was interesting that i um went to this church and the pastor and the partner were a lesbian 
couple and they they embraced me and they said you know Celia I can be yourself in this place and we understand what you're going through you know and uh, so that kind of gave me an opportunity to not to find acceptance in a community there were most of them are cisgender i'm going to be using a lot of terms today so that i will also educate you so cisgender people are a person who's born in the gender and they identify in the gender for example if a person is born as a man and they identify as a man they're called cisgender and it's spelled as c i s gender but when a person is born as a man but they do not identify in the gender they are born they are called transgender it's such a simple term and trans means it's spanning across cis means it's in the same gender so this community this church was predominantly cisgender i would say 80 90% of them were cisgender folks and uh, they were all straight people and I was maybe one or two folks in that community were gay lesbian and uh, I was a trans person in that church. And I remember telling my story in the community um uh, especially in the um in the church I started talking about my life after a year I was going to the church and the pastor said you know Celia your story is great what don't you tell the people you know I, we want to educate the community here so a newspaper came and they covered my story. Uh, and i just didn't, that was my first time i actually came out and i i came out and out to the congregation and and there were audience and i told my story and uh it was published in the newspaper it almost half a page in our local newspaper it was 2015 i remember this newspaper article that came out and uh, i was very proud of myself that i could tell people my story and you know educate them The letters to the editor was very derogatory you know it was very very demeaning it was so discriminating and i was just so sad that they called me a man in a dress who needs medical help i was seeking attention you know it was i felt felt like this community was just not ready to accept me and they were just this is 2015 in california you can imagine right So I was sitting there in my car crying thinking about it as I want to come out and why is this all happening? Can I really come out? And I couldn't I couldn't I was sitting in the car and I thought about there are two things for me one is I come out and tell my story to the community so I can educate them or I can sit and keep crying live in the closet go back to the closet. And that's the time I remember telling myself that to help with your people i'm coming out <laughs> and i came out i started just you know just started telling my story and i was going out in my community i started going dressing up more often in the daylight i usually used to dress in the night time because i was scared of coming out celia was ready to live as her true self but knew this journey wouldn't be complete without sharing everything with her wife and daughter and this would be one of the hardest things to do It's often easier to open up to strangers than to those closest to us. But Celia knew that fully embracing her identity meant bringing her family in. She was terrified of how they would react and would what it might mean for their relationships. Would they reject her? Would her daughter understand? Just thinking about having that vulnerable talk filled Celia with worry. Yet she knew she owed them the truth. After all, they shared a life as a family. Celia had to trust that their love was strong enough to handle this news. 
um, I, I didn't tell my wife because, you know, I didn't want her to know what I was going through. And I remember my daughter was 15 years old. And um, one day uh, we were going to our friend's house and I was just uh, at a point in my life where I didn't express Celia to my wife. Celia was still hidden and um, I was still dressing up as, uh, you know, I was still expressing as Daniel and um, there was a part of me, my wife knew my situation and she was still in denial of accepting me. And this is the time I was still in discovering myself. I was in a discovery phase and my wife was in a denial phase. I, we are going to a party and my daughter found out and she came down, um, this is a Christmas party. She came down the stairs and she said, Dad, why are you dressed up like a girl in a sari? And I was wearing a suit and my wife was actually in a sari and she was wearing a beautiful dress and she said, Sweetheart, Daddy's in a suit, what do you mean? <laughs> she said, No, Dad, I saw a picture of you in the computer and you were dressed in a sari. And my wife just squeezed my hand and said, You're not telling her. I don't want our daughter to know. And I was thinking to myself as to I need to tell my daughter because I want her to know what I'm going through I told my wife I'm going to tell her I don't know I don't want her to find this information in another way because she already found out I wish I could told I could have told her and my wife said my advice is don't tell her tell her it's Halloween you know we don't want to go through this um, I remember sitting there thinking the entire party, you know, we we're all friends and we we're chatting and in the back of my mind it's always running as to how am I going to tell my daughter, you know, I love her so much, how do I tell her that daddy is different? <laughs> it was the most difficult time in my life. I remember um, we came back home and, you know, just moved on with our life like nothing happened. And uh, just two days after that I called my daughter to my room and I said, sweetheart, I'm going to talk to you about what's going on in my life and she said sure dad tell me what's going on <laughs> um, I you know we are so close and I said come on sit on my lap I'll tell you my story so she sat with me and I told her the entire story that I told you today she was listening it was a condensed version <laughs> 25 minutes and my daughter said dad I get it and I was thinking you get it <laughs> she said yeah I get it dad I know there are people like you, you know, it's, it's okay. And I was thinking to myself, seriously, how did you get it? She said, Dad, you know my friend, he's actually gay. This person is actually bi. Dad, it's not a problem, just move on. Dad, don't worry about it. And I was thinking to myself, how easy it is for her to accept me. It's almost 15 years and my wife is still struggling to accept me. Wow, I didn't get it. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was thinking about it and what do I do? What do I do? And how do I, um, what do I do now that I'm coming out to my daughter? Sweetheart, I told her I, I express myself as a, a woman and uh, her name is Celia. And uh, she said, Dad, I can, can I see her? I said, sure, I will show Celia to you and um, and I asked her um, would you mind if daddy's you know expressing myself as a woman at, at home I, I could see that you know she missed her dad 
she will be missing her dad. Um, and I could sense, and she looked at me and said, Dad, I don't care. <laughs> and that's how kids talk, you know. And I was thinking, okay, maybe I will just uh, try to find a way to express uh, Celia to you and introduce her to you. We moved on with our life, and I always kept Celia in the closet, and even in my house, and there were times when I used to, when I had a lot of opportunities in my business trip, and uh, even during, um, uh, outside my house, I was living as Celia, where I used to change in my car, I used to change in my hotel room, I used to change, um, we had a big house, and you know, I used to change in the, in our guest room, and then move on with my life and my wife. She didn't want to be involved in that part of my life. And she just said, you know, you do your thing, but be careful. You are a successful businessman. You know our Indian community. Everyone, they, you are the boss of almost 600 people in this place. And your clients know you. You've got an award. As a successful customer, SAT is great. We have great stock options. We have a great house in LA. Why do you want to come out here? Don't do all this. Don't do this. You're not a trans person. When Celia first opened up to her daughter about embracing her true identity, the quick acceptance and support that came back surprised her in the best way possible. It felt like a huge weight lifted to have her daughter understand and validate who she really is. But things were more complex with her wife. Celia recognized that true acceptance isn't instant. It can be a journey for loved ones too. Celia was committed to understanding her wife's concerns while also staying true to herself. She knew with mutual love and willingness to learn, they could find a way through this together. It was a reminder that acceptance must be nurtured, not demanded. So what I did was I was talking to my wife, I was educating her and I didn't know the right terms to use. I was just telling her that, you know, I wanted, I dress up in women's clothes. But I didn't answer to her as to why I was doing that. I just told her the outcome of what I was doing rather than talking to her about what was going deep inside. So these facts and these medical information that I was, um, you know, especially when I was doing a lot of research and reading all these articles, I found out and I came back to her and told her, sweetheart, I'm going through gender dysphoria. And she got it. And especially during COVID time, what happened was, um, you know, we were at home, right? All of us are at home and I had this urge to, I wanted to be Celia. And I was like, I am Celia and how do I do it? So I sat down and I told my wife that, hey, I'm going to introduce you to this feminine side of me and her name is Celia. And my wife was, uh, you know, and I told what Celia does and I was very proud. You know, she was super proud of my my life and uh, you know she said I totally respect you and I do what you're I know respect what you're doing so it took 17 years it took 17 years for her to accept me and uh, I totally understand you know especially when parents are not able to accept their children I, I totally understand when children are not able to accept their parents but what is the most important thing is this is not a lifestyle choice when a human being is born this way, you need to understand, ask them questions, be an ally to the community. It's been a long road, but Celia has gone to a place where she fully embraces who she is and lives authentically as her true self. The journey to self-acceptance wasn't easy, but she made it through the other side. Now Celia wants to take all of the lessons and insights from her experiences 
to help others going through similar struggles. She's on a mission to move beyond the roads. Society assigns people like her who have been pushed to the edges and margins. Celia wants to help integrate them into the fabric of society in an empowering way so they can both enrich their communities and find enrichment themselves. By being a voice, a face and a living example, she aspires to spark positive change and acceptance. Celia knows firsthand how much representation and support can mean when you feel alone. With so much progress still left to be made, Celia is determined to keep speaking up, sharing her story and advocating for others. She's proof that living authentically takes courage, but the rewards will make it all worthwhile. Her own self-acceptance fuels her drive to create a more inclusive world for all. So I just wanted to also quickly highlight what I'm doing currently. So one of the things that I've been focusing on is, you know, I I, I think I started my story by telling uh, how I dreamt as a child um, when I wanted to be a girl. I, I say in five dimensions. One is I was dreaming and, uh, you know, my dream was always to be a girl. And then I went into the stage of doubting. And doubting is a stage where I didn't know what was going on and I started doubting myself. And um, then the third stage of my life was in denial. And I was living in denial where I didn't know what I was ta- doing and I, I was hoping that this would go away. The fourth stage was discovery. So after I discovered so much of what was going on in my life, I was able to find out there's so much that people have not known and how do I constantly educate the community and how do we keep this going and then I want to talk about destiny today this is my destiny and I feel like if what I want to do in future is to create the pathways for the younger generation because Gen Z's and Millennials are the future so in 2025 60% of the workforce is going to be Millennials and uh, if you have seen the latest census, you know, there are a lot of people who have come out as gender non-binary, especially in the in the White House, there are so many folks, and we have a senator who is gender non uh, who is trans in U.S. I think there's a lot of opportunity for the trans community, and it's no longer need, needs to be a taboo. So today, I am a chief programs officer for a non-profit that's called um, Trans Can Work. It's an organization which is very simple, transcanwork.org. If you go and click on this organization, you'll see that what we do is basically educate companies, corporate companies, all the Fortune 500 companies, all the Fortune 100, 100, and the top five. We work with these companies, we educate them to provide a safe space and a safe environment for the trans community. And when I say trans, today we call them as TGI. So transgender gender non-binary gender non-conforming is the g and i is for intersex so we call them as a tgi community so trans can work is educating all the companies we have been doing a lot of podcasts um we just finished a not a podcast i'm sorry panels we just did a panel for a 25 billion dollar company it's a biopharmaceutical in california and i was in the panel educating the panel panelists and also the audience uh, from that company about how they can be more open to the trans and gender non-binary and the intersex community. So I've been talking a lot about how do, can you make these changes across the provider industry, how about the uh, the policy, how policymakers, um, the drug industry, and also the insurance industry. So I've been working with all these um, 
you know, especially when you're looking at healthcare, how do you change these? Uh, my background is in healthcare. So I've been focusing on you know, how we can change some of this corporate America and uh, be more open to hiring more trans people at work and also empowering the trans community. So that's what we do today. We have close to a thousand resumes of trans community today. And um, we are trying to place them in companies like Google, Facebook, um, Amazon and um, Accenture's of the world and you know any 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 company that is willing to hire trans people. Not just pink washing but in, in all sincerity, you know, if they have a corporate equality index of 100%, and these companies should be having a lot of trans people in their in their workforce. So that's what we've been focusing on. And we're trying to make these changes because this has to happen. And so I have, uh, I'm in the executive board of this company, Trans Can Work as well. And I'm also, I started my own uh, company uh, in the side, it's just more on management consulting for uh, the big fives and pharmaceuticals and biotechs. Since my background is in the biotech, um, I still run, run large programs for a biotech industry. So I'm also working with a for-profit company and a non-profit company. My plate is so full. I have so much going on in my life and I have a great uh, family. You know, especially my wife is very accepting and they are my best allies. And um, my daughter is a great ally. She stood for the uh, local state delegate for the Democratic. She's one of the young Democrats who is in the state assembly now which is amazing and I'm so proud of her. She's 21 years old and um, you know, I remember the time I was coming out when she was 15 years old and now she's grown into a beautiful woman and uh, she is a great ally for her dad. That's me. Now, at this pivotal point in her life and career, what are Celia's dreams for people who are embarking on a similar journey to the one she's been on? How can we build a society where future generations never have to endure the same prejudice and isolation? So the important thing that I learned is I want to be a good human being first. I am an immigrant in this country. I'm a brown person. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. I'm a husband to my wife. I'm a parent and I'm a father to my daughter. That's never going to change. And I'm dealing with my identity and Celia is an integral part of Daniel and Daniel is an integral part of Celia. And this is my story. It's a very simple story about a person who wants to live in both genders and I've lived so far. My goal uh, and I would, what I wanted to um, advise uh, for the young people and for the listeners in the call is, you know, be an ally for the community. And I want to reiterate the word again, allies is A-L-L-I-E-S, acknowledge your privilege, listen to the community, learn to unlearn. I is to, to instigate tough conversations. There are lots of conversations we need to instigate. E is to educate. And S is to support by being involved. Celia's powerful story shows us how far we still have to go before people of all gender identities are fully accepted and empowered. Despite the challenges, Celia has emerged with a clear sense of purpose to keep pushing for change. She wants a world where everyone can celebrate their true selves. Like Laverne Cox said, it is revolutionary for any trans person to choose to be seen in a world that tells us we should not exist. Celia's story stresses the importance of allies on this journey to understanding. Acknowledge privilege, listen, learn to unlearn, educate yourself and support actively. We can't cover every aspect of this complex issue in such a short time. 
but we hope Celia's story inspires you to be an ally. Because with more allies, we can build a world where everyone of all gender identities is accepted for who they authentically are. I'm Bettina. I'm Nanora. And that's a wrap for season six. We want to thank all our guests for bravely and openly sharing their stories and wisdom with us. We also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on this journey over the past season. We hope these stories and perspectives have opened your minds and touched your hearts. Stay tuned because we'll be back in four weeks with an exciting new season, new guests, and a fresh podcast format we can't wait to share. Until next time, keep learning, keep inspiring, and always be kind.